Hey everyone, if you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10, that's podcast10, to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Now, to the top analysis of today's crypto markets. Hey guys, welcome to Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. I'm Ash Bennington. Today, I'm joined by James Murphy, better known as Meta Law Man, to talk all things legal and compliance happening in the crypto space. Welcome back to Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Ash, thanks so much. I love your show. And boy, do we have a lot to talk about. We sure do. Uh, before we get started, just a quick follow-up for folks who were looking for our interview yesterday with Hugh Henry, unfortunately, last minute significant issues with his internet uh, meant we were ultimately unable to bring you that conversation live or recorded. But don't worry, we'll have Hugh back shortly in the coming weeks. Now, let's take a look at some price action to top start off the show. Bitcoin trading right now at 25,975, a shade below 26,000, off on the last seven days, 1.33%. Ethereum trading at 1,740 on the trailing seven day basis, performing worse than Bitcoin off about five and a quarter percent trading right now on my screen, 1,740. I also wanted to show you very quickly a chart of the broader altcoin market. You can see some double digit drops over the past 30 days, perhaps, perhaps driven by some of the things that we're about to have a conversation with James about right now, the legal background and context for everything that's happening in crypto. With that said, James, we couldn't have you back on this show at a better time. So much happening right now. Uh, it's really three words, Ripple, Binance, Coinbase. Let's jump in and get started. Give us the 50,000 foot overview on how you see the legal context for the crypto space unfolding right now. Well, boy, it's exciting uh, for lawyers and even semi-retired lawyers like me who spent their careers uh, in this space. Um, uh, you know, a lot of us were counting down the days to see these Hinman emails and see how his speech in 2018, giving the all clear to Ethereum, how that came to happen and what were the internal uh, discussions at the SEC leading up to that. And and uh, there were some surprises uh, there. Um, James, secondly, let's, let's begin at the beginning for people who aren't familiar with William Hinman, his role at the SEC <laughs> and his importance in the conversation right now happening across crypto. Let's go back and explain that speech, what those remarks were and why they were so significant. Well, uh, Bill Hinman was um, the head of the Division of Corporate Finance. So that, that's a, a, a high uh, role and status within the SEC. And uh, at the time he gave the speech in June of uh, 2018, almost exactly five years ago, there was everything, everyone would acknowledge a lot of confusion as to what among these uh, crypto tokens were, were uh, securities. And so the importance of the Hinman uh, speech was that he gave the green light uh, to Ethereum trading on the secondary market and declared using uh, factors that he had sort of invented uh, that 
uh, under the rubric that he was using to analyze whether a token was a security, Ethereum did not qualify as a security. And that was a big deal because it was the only non-Bitcoin token to get this uh, green light um, and uh, you know path cleared in the marketplace for exchanges and individuals to, to trade it. So it was a very big deal. Well, you know, you mentioned this idea that he, this that he constructed this context for it, and that has been uh, subject to uh, numerous questions. Uh, folks questioning whether or not it was, in fact, an official position of the SEC, or rather, uh, Mr. Hinman's remarks. I'm just going to read this for you. This was from uh, June 14, 2018. These are the remarks at the Yahoo Finance All Market Summit crypto. Uh, and again, this is coming right off the SEC website. Hold on, let me just scroll down to the relevant part. Here it is. But this also points the way to when a digital asset transaction may no longer represent a security offering. If the network on which the token or coins is to function is sufficiently decentralized, where purchasers would no longer reasonably expect a person or group to carry out essential managerial or entrepreneurial efforts, the assets may not represent an investment contract. That language from Mr. Hinman, obviously a very experienced securities lawyer, calls back to the Howey test, which we've talked about on this show many times. Talk a little bit about what Mr. Hinman was attempting to delineate there in reference to current case law and USC code around securities. Well, uh, in my view, there is no basis in, uh, certainly in the statute around investment contract to add these uh, factors to assess whether something is an investment contract. In the Howey case, in cases that came after it, say no, nothing about sufficiently decentralized. And James, so, can we give a little bit of context here for people who may not know uh, <laughs> about the, the basic framework from the, the acts of 33 and 34 and how the Howey test extended that for an interpretative context for what is and is not an investment contract and therefore a security. Yes. So there are definitions in both the 33 and the 34 act of what is a security. And it starts with a list of things, things that are familiar, stocks, bonds, uh, and other instruments that you would recognize. And then it says investment contracts, but it doesn't define investment contracts, unfortunately. And so therefore it was left to the courts. And so the Howey case in 1946 at the US Supreme Court is the uh, key case um, that, uh, that articulated a standard of what is an investment contract that would qualify as a security and therefore be subject to regulation uh, by the SEC. Um, and so uh, that's why everybody trues back to the Howey test. And we saw that in the, in the Hinman emails where he's receiving input from both uh, another division within the SEC called Trading and Markets, as well as the General Counsel's Office. General Counsel is the lawyer for internal SEC legal issues. Uh, and both of them were cautioning strongly Hinman uh, to not go so far as he was going uh, with that speech and declare Ethereum not a security and declare these factors. And they pointed out the factors you are announcing now are not in Howie. You know, so they're being made up here. Um, 
And so that that was a problem. And they said, you know, this is going to lead. There was an acknowledgement. There was existing confusion. And they said, if you give this speech, there will be more confusion, not less. And so is it likely then that SEC attorneys will then argue that position uh, that this was not in, in uh, the view uh, of SEC at the time, something that was coherent and uh, consistent with the Howey test and with the Supreme Court decision? The SEC itself has um, flip-flopped a little bit uh, over time on whether Hinman did articulate the position of the SEC. <clears throat> Their problem is shortly after that speech, the chairman, Jay Clayton, uh, speaking to a large audience said, market participants need to go read the Hinman speech because it shows how we, we, meaning the SEC, analyze whether a digital asset is a security. He endorsed the Hinman speech and encouraged everyone to go look to find the answer to, wow, is my particular token a security? So how is all of this relevant to what's happening in the unfolding case right now with Ripple? Well, um, that's a good question. There are a lot of dimensions uh, to this. Um, the fact that um, the one thing that surprised me about the Hinman emails was I naively thought what we would see is that there was an emerging consensus within the SEC that yes, Ethereum is not a security. Well, it turns out there was no such consensus and it was Bill Hinman himself individually who really was pushing for calling out Ethereum by name as not a security while everybody else who was weighing in was cautioning him about doing that. Mm. You know, the general counsel said, hey, wait a minute, this is going to limit our flexibility going forward should we choose to change our mind and say that Ethereum is a security? Uh, and that's certainly the case. But um, with respect to um, Ripple, um, you know, the argument is this was, this was totally unfair. And there are people who be believe that there may be some element of corruption at play because of Hinman's connection to his law firm and the Ethereum Alliance, et cetera. I don't know anything about that. Explain but, that for people who haven't heard that <clears throat> charge. Uh, okay, well, uh, the idea here is uh, uh, Bill Hinman was paid $15 million from his law firm, Simpson Thatcher, while he was at the SEC. That's a lot of money. Um, now, it is said that that was some sort of pension payout, um, but that's a that's an extremely generous pension, even by uh, the standards of large New York uh, law firms. Um, but in any event, whether that's true or not, the argument is he had an interest in the success and well-being of his law firm, and his law firm was uh, a member of this um, Enterprise Ethereum Alliance and a promoter uh, of their, their clients' interests with respect to working on Ethereum. Um, and so therefore the idea is he had a conflict and he was motivated to declare Ethereum not a security because that certainly was a boost for the entire Ethereum ecosystem. 
Hey everyone, we're going to take a quick pause and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back. I should say Real Vision has not independently verified or validated those facts. But, you know, it's interesting because there's a great deal of complexity around this. You have the Hinman speech, the Hinman emails behind it that show the, the general counsel of SEC was skeptical of the claims. And then in the opposite direction, you have Chair Clayton uh, coming forth with those statements roughly contemporaneously, suggesting that it was, in fact, SEC policy. This is a lot for people to get their heads around and a lot uh, for folks to vet when trying to understand where this case is likely to shake out. Yes, indeed. And, you know, some of the defenses, um, particularly to, to fraud claims, but to all of the claims, the securities claims, is it was not clear that any particular token was a security. And I can tell you the, the, the commentary on the draft of the Hinman speech really supports that point of view, that there is confusion, that the SEC might want to change its mind about whether Ethereum was or wasn't a security, and that Hinman's speech would add to existing confusion in the marketplace. He was warned, but proceeded nonetheless to give that speech. Hmm. Let's move on to what's happening right now with Binance. So civil charges being filed uh, by CFTC and FEC against Binance. Then we've got some recent news flow in terms of a request for an asset freeze. Let's start at the very beginning here uh, and tell the story of what the legal activity is against Binance from civil regulatory authorities in the United States. And then we can go and talk a little bit about what's happened uh, with the with the request for freezing funds. Right. So last week, the SEC filed a civil complaint against uh, Binance, let's call it Binance International, CZ personally, and uh, the two entities that uh, manage and run um, Binance US, which is the US um, crypto exchange. All of them were sued, alleging that they are engaging in uh, trading of unregistered securities. Um, and uh, therefore, they should have registered as a national securities exchange, as a broker-dealer, and as a clearing agent uh, under U.S. law. With respect to Binance, they also allege that Binance um, issued an unregistered security twice, that being the BNB token, which was the exchange token of Binance, as well as the stablecoin, BUSD, uh, issued by Binance. The SEC alleges that both of those were um, are unregistered securities that were issued by Binance. And it's really important for people to understand that this is a key distinction between the Binance case and the Coinbase case, where Coinbase did not issue any security um, that is at issue in the case. They simply provided a platform for the trading of tokens in a secondary market. Binance did that, of course, but they also have this risk associated with the issuance of BNB and BUSD, as, well, as, well, as, as well as a, a bunch of other, you yeah. know, allegations of fraud and evading, you know, lying to regulators, evading uh, U.S. regulation by hiding the fact that they had U.S. customers and moving around uh, assets in uh, ways that are hard to explain, et cetera, et cetera. 
you don't have that in the Coinbase case. So the Binance case is, is, is certainly more complicated. Yeah, there's, there was also uh, some, some mention in the complaint about other uh, entities associated with Binance uh, that were affiliated with Binance, uh, I believe, uh, Merit Peak Limited, uh, as well as Sigma Chain, looking at uh, the press release right now. Yeah, that's right. Um, so these are entities that were uh, alleged to be market makers, which provide liquidity for customers wanting to trade on the platform. That's the idea of having active market makers is you've got a ready buyer or seller when you want to um, you know, do something uh, with an asset. And that, that can be a good thing. Um, now, there's, uh, there are allegations that they engaged in wash trading to um, you know, uh, uh, increase the reported trading volume yeah. on the exchange and used that data to attract investment in Binance itself. So this is not acquiring BNB tokens, but rather getting VCs and others to invest in Binance, the entity. And they, you know, it's good to show volume and, and prop, you know, revenue and profits and all of that. So there was an allegation that these wash trades were not only market manipulation, but also um, you know, used to mislead investors looking to um, consider investing in uh, Binance itself. I'm just going to read this right from the SEC website. This is from their press release uh, at the time that the complaint was published. Quote, the SEC's complaint further alleges that BAM Trading and BAM Management U.S. Holdings, uh, BAM Management, misled investors about non-existent trading controls over Binance. U.S. platform, while Sigma Chain engaged in manipulative trading that artificially inflated the platform's trading volume. Further, the complaint alleges that the defendants concealed the fact that it was commingling co -mingling billions of dollars of investor assets and sending them to a third party, Merit Peak Limited, that is also owned by Zhao. This, again, is the allegation that you just named. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about where we are in terms of current news flow, this emergency request to freeze assets uh, and what happened just yesterday. Yeah, so uh, at the end of last week, the SEC filed for something called a temporary restraining order asking that certain things happen immediately, way, way before any trial, but right up front, uh, that the assets of Binance US be frozen, that all access, including keys and shards, be transferred to U.S. personnel at BAM, you know, one of the BAM entities, um, and that they uh, give a full accounting you know, very, very quickly to the SEC of all of the customers and the customer asset balances and where that is, and agree to a number of other restrictions that were pretty uh, draconian because the SEC was asking for all of the assets of Binance US to be frozen. Now, if you think about that for just a moment, what would that mean for any company? If your assets are frozen, you can't pay your employees, can't pay your rent, can't pay your taxes, can't pay anything, you're out of business pretty much immediately. And that was what the SEC was going for. 
Um, and so Binance US pushed back and said, that's not appropriate here by any stretch of the imagination. We should be allowed to defend ourselves and not be put out of business on day one of this lawsuit. And so uh, it was very, very high stakes at the hearing yesterday. You know, the, the overused phrase is existential threat. Well, the TRO there was an existential threat to Binance US. If it, if it had been granted, they would have been functionally out of business uh, pretty much immediately. Uh, and so the judge didn't buy it, did not, uh, was not satisfied with the answers that she was getting from the SEC lawyers um, and expressed a lot of frustration with the fact that she asked very simple questions like uh, you allege that um, the SEC, uh, you, you allege that the US assets have been moved overseas. Great. Do you have any proof that act, that actually happened? And she went to ask every single SEC lawyer the same question and none of them could answer. None of them had any evidence that that actually happened and she really didn't like it. She felt, I can't speak for her, but she may have felt that she was a little bit misled about, is there really an emergency here? And so what she did is said, look, parties need to get together. I agree, we wanna secure uh, the customer assets, US customer assets of Binance US. Let's figure out a way to do that. But there's no reason that Binance US needs to be put out of business today. Uh, they should be allowed to continue operating and pay their vendors in the ordinary course. Hey everyone, we're gonna take another quick break and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back to the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Yeah, I want to move on and talk about Coinbase. But first, very quickly, talk about the structure between Binance and Binance US uh, and whether anything that might be perceived as an existential threat to Binance US also affects the parent company. That's a really good question, uh, Ash. It's not, it's not crystal clear. There's a lot in the complaint um, saying that CZ and executives at Binance International were controlling the Binance US platform. So therefore, if uh, the SEC does have jurisdiction over Binance US, and the reason they would is if they can prove that there were securities traded on Binance US, then they, then they have jurisdiction under the law. Well, then if someone controls that, then they can also assert jurisdiction over that controlling party. And they specifically alleged that CZ controls um, Binance US and Binance. And so therefore there is an avenue. Um, and so there is some commentary out there on Twitter that, that I, I don't quite dis, uh, agree with that says there's no way the SEC can do anything to Binance US. Well, if they prove that there's a control uh, there's control over Binance US, then they suddenly uh, will have uh, jurisdiction and can take action and impose fines and um, other kinds of relief. Uh, it is, as you pointed out at the very beginning, a civil uh, uh, authority, not criminal. So they can fine and or prevent uh, executives from engaging in the same conduct in the future, can prevent them from serving as an officer or director. Of, of, of a public company uh, for a period of time or forever. Things of that nature 
um, are possible if they if they prove up their case. So let's shift gears here and talk a little bit about what's happening with Coinbase. Like the other two stories, we have recent news flow on this uh, yesterday and the day before. But I want to break the context down for what's been happening with the suit with Coinbase and SEC before we start and talk about what's happening with the new news flow. Give us the big picture, 50,000 foot, what's going on with SEC's suit against Coinbase? So there are two suits. Um, first of all, Coinbase has maintained this position forever that we that they have contacted uh, the SEC trying to open up dialogue about what is a, a rational way to register and comply and run our business uh, and have been rebuffed by the SEC is what they've said. And so they filed something called a writ of mandamus in the Third Circuit Court of Appeals asking um, the Third Circuit to order the SEC to answer a simple question. Will you engage in the rulemaking that we have asked around this digital asset ecosystem? We just want an answer, yes or no, and the SEC has so far refused to answer yes or no to that question. And so that, that is pending. Yeah, SEC has filed a brief saying, we haven't made up our mind and we may not make up our mind anytime soon. In fact, it could be years before we decide whether we will even begin to engage in rulemaking around uh, digital assets and digital asset exchanges. Um, and so then the Third Circuit saw that, uh, that uh, the SEC sued Coinbase and issued an order to the SEC saying, hey, you need to tell us if this means you're not gonna engage in rulemaking because it looks like you're going full bore with litigation with whatever rules you have now. Um, and so uh, that's going on um, at the Third Circuit. So the, the, the big case is the SEC has right. sued Coinbase. And this is a very <laughs> simple uh, lawsuit. It alleges that there are securities, uh, that some of the tokens on the platform are securities and therefore uh, Coinbase should have registered as a national securities exchange, a broker dealer, and a clearing agent. One, two, three, those claims. Um, and this is all going to turn on the, the question of, are those securities or aren't they? Uh, these tokens that are traded in the secondary market. There's one additional um, claim, and that is that uh, Coinbase hosts a staking as a service um, offering uh, for its customers to stake um, their tokens uh, 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 for right. Ethereum staking or, or maybe some others as well. And the SEC contends that that is an investment contract uh, right. as well. So, you know, primary allegation being uh, that these are, in fact, unregistered securities. And then secondary to that, two other points, uh, the idea that staking as a service represents security as an investment contract and additionally this question of segregation of activities between exchanges and clearing agents uh, we'll delve into that in just a second but it seems that one of the the central perhaps the central irreconcilable difference we see between sec and the cryptocurrency industry right now whenever we have folks on uh from the crypto industry chief compliance officers uh, other attorneys they always make the case uh, that essentially there is not a clear path forward for folks who are engaged in digital assets uh, to have guidance. They complain uh, about 
this idea of regulation by enforcement. I shouldn't say complain. They make the case that that's the case, that we're in this period uh, where essentially the SEC doesn't tell you where the line is. They only tell you after you've stepped over it. SEC, for their part, essentially has argued, sure, of course there's a process. Look at the 1933 Securities Act of 1933, the Securities Exchange Act of 1934. Uh, it's all spelled out for you there. Digital assets are no different. What's your view on that sort of core central dispute that we see in the space right now? Well, there is no avenue to register a crypto exchange like Coinbase. Remember, the SEC's position is that virtually all tokens are securities. And therefore, if, if Coinbase wanted to register as a national ex securities exchange, the first thing they would have to do is delist everything except Bitcoin and maybe Ethereum, because all of the rest in the view of the SEC are unregistered securities. So therefore the business model as it exists now cannot be registered. This is very, very different from what they have in the EU under the Mika uh, legislation, where you can operate as a crypto uh, exchange, offering many of these tokens in a very you know, well-controlled, highly regulated environment that requires segregation of customer assets, segregation of functions and, and uh, accounting, uh, and all of the things that you would want um, to have confidence in a crypto exchange uh, and its operations. Here, it's not possible. The SEC has said they're all securities. The, the 10 or 13 uh, identified in the, in the complaint in Coinbase and, and the others in, in Binance are simply examples uh, that they think are their best examples, their strongest arguments for proving that these tokens are um, securities. But if they were to win on the you know dozen, uh, then it, it logically follows that virtually all of them uh, would be securities. So this really is for the whole the whole ball game, all the marbles here. If uh, if tokens trade on the secondary market are uh, securities, then the exchange function will go away in, in the United States. I happen to believe that they are not securities. There's no contract when I trade, uh, you know, a, a whatever a token on an exchange. Not engaging in a contract with the counterparty. And I'm certainly not investing in whatever the underlying uh, entity is. They're not going to share their profits with me if I happen to own their token for a while. So it's not an investment contract in, in my view, but that's my view, not legal advice of Meta Law, man. But it, it is my view, and I feel like um, that that's the better view and likely to be vindicated, maybe, maybe not at the trial court, but on appeal. Um, to the Second Circuit Court of Appeals or the or DC Circuit, and certainly at the US Supreme Court, I'm highly confident uh, that those appellate courts will find that those are not investment contracts. Yeah. And many important points there. And of course, not legal advice. I am not a lawyer, uh, although we've had to dive in and read about all of this stuff because it's just so important to understanding right. what's happening in the space. But it's great to have an attorney like yourself come in and help us understand and unpack that. I wanted to just make one other uh, point and ask a question about it, uh, which is this kind of, uh, I guess, the varying shades of gray. You mentioned 
some of the tokens that have been listed in the complaints by uh, SEC and also CFTC and unrelated actions. Uh, talk a little bit about why you believe Ethereum was not mentioned specifically except in the staking services uh, with regard to Coinbase and also whether or not uh, a Bitcoin carve out exists uh, because there's been a lot of talk about, you know, very often attorneys will say, except for Bitcoin, what is the formal status of that, uh, if any? Well, um, to my knowledge, there's no court that has said Bitcoin is not a security. The SEC has said this and said it more than once. And so therefore, you know, market participants listen to that and believe uh, the SEC, but who knows, you know, if you have a turnover in administration, we've seen this again and again, where the the uh, the point of view of the SEC or the chairman just changes over time. One example, two years ago, almost exactly two years ago, May of 2021, uh, Gary Gensler testified in Congress, May 2021, and said, we at the SEC have no legal authority to regulate crypto exchanges under current law. And I would ask that the Congress consider granting such legal authority to us because I think it's important that investors have, uh, you know, these kinds of protections and disclosures in this emerging crypto asset field like they have in the securities field. So, he has done a 180 degree turn on that and says, we have now all the authority we need. Uh, and so we've seen this time and again, where inexplicably the position just changes. And that's not actually how the rule of law is supposed to work. It's not supposed to be a rule of men or a rule of people declaring what they think that might change from time to time. We're supposed to have a rule of law that people can follow and can order their behavior in accordance with the rule of law and know what it is. Here, you know, it's clear from those Hinman emails, there's disagreement in, inside the building at the SEC of what is a security, what are the factors that make up a security, you know, make a decision as to, as to this question. Um, and so... You know, there is no, to my knowledge, legal status. There just seems to be everybody agrees that Bitcoin is is uh, not a security. And so Bitcoin is still attacked, as you know, Ash, on other vectors, you know, for right. use of electricity and and yeah. uh, and, and uh, carbon dioxide and things of that nature, but uh, not a, a security. Um, on, on Coinbase, there's a chance. Uh, what I predict is going to happen is Coinbase is going to file a motion to dismiss early and say, judge, you can tell by the complaint, these are not securities under Howie um, because there is no contract. There is no investment in the underlying enterprise. Like in Howie, the Howie investors invested in a business that was engaged in planting, cultivating, and harvesting oranges, and they yeah. got to share the profits. Well, when you, I don't, I don't know if you are involved in crypto trading, but if you were to uh, acquire almost any token, you know, you don't own any part of the underlying business. You don't have a right. You know, you don't jump for joy when they're highly profitable because you're going to get a dividend. It doesn't happen. It's not yeah. an investment contract. And, and so there's a chance, a chance that they could prevail early uh, in that case. 
very important points. I want to get to two quick questions from our viewers because they're really good ones. The first one comes to us from Joel on the Real Vision website. And the question is, is there any chance of the SEC going after Circle slash USDC? It's an interesting question because uh, the regulation around stable coins, a very different type of regulatory and legal framework than what we see uh, around the SEC's assertions about what is and is not a security. Can you explain first the big picture there uh, about the way that stable coins may or may not be regulated? Uh, well, first things first, is that possible? Yes, it is possible because the SEC has said that um, the issuance of stable coins by the issuer um, could be uh, an investment contract. Now, um, that's questionable because the nature of the stable uh, coin is to have a stable value. And so what the profit motivation is with respect to the stable coin itself is, is, is right. really suspect here because you can buy one for a dollar and sometime later you can turn that, you, you know, you can turn that coin back in and get your dollar back. You haven't made a profit. Um, now, I suppose someone in Argentina or Turkey who buys stable coins and watches their currency, you know, devalue rapidly is, I, I don't know if that's a profit, but it's, you know, the, the, it's stable. Um, uh, and so uh, the SEC has already taken the position that it can be issued as a security. I disagree with that point of view. And so is it possible that other issuers um, like Tether or Circle could find themselves sued. That is possible. I think they have a better argument that it certainly does not fit uh, the Howey test, you know, because when you buy a stable coin from Circle, you're not investing in Circle. Circle now is an extremely profitable enterprise as a, consequence, as a yeah. consequence of the short-term interest rates skyrocketing over the last right. 12 months. The, right. uh, the, the stable coin business in the last year has gone from a nice business a year ago that you can make, a, you know, make money on to a phenomenally profitable business simply because of the quote-unquote risk-free rate of 28-day T-bills paying over 5.5% right. you know, when you consider the billions on deposit, this is extremely profitable. And you, we saw this in the Coinbase financials, their last financial statement. You know, they participate uh, in that, in that uh, USDC uh, stablecoin, the, the profits from that enterprise. And it was a significant factor uh, in, the pro in the overall picture of, uh, of Coinbase's financials. Um, so, but anyway, when you or I buy a stable coin, unfortunately, we're not participating in Circle's business, which is highly profitable. It would be nice to participate in that business, but right. we don't. Uh, we don't share in the profits. So again, I think it's wrong for the SEC to contend that that is an investment contract. And yeah. if they do so, it just casts another shadow over another part of the crypto ecosystem, which a lot of people feel like that's the SEC's goal. Yeah, and to your point, you know, the how we test generally taken to have three key prongs, an investment of money and a common enterprise, 
with the expectation of profit. I'm sorry, before to be derived from the expectation of others. If there's not an expectation of profit, certainly, as you point out right there, an open question about whether or not it will be considered to be a security. I want you to do one more question, but first a comment uh, from one of our viewers, Samantha, on the Real Vision website. James, huge congrats for a very clear explanation of a complex legal scenario. Excellent interview. I agree, Samantha. Uh, James, it's been great to have this conversation and to really get the actual, you know, real meat of what's happening here, but explain in language that everyone can understand. I think it's incredibly valuable for our viewers and for our listeners. Final question. This one comes to us from Eric on YouTube. What do you make of the 10 states that have said Coinbase needs to show cause within 28 days? What does this mean to someone who lives in one of those states? Great question. Now, my understanding, I looked only at one state. I, I don't remember which it was. Um, I looked at one state to investigate this. And what that state was saying was the staking service at Coinbase was the offer of a security under state law. And therefore, um, they started a process which allows Coinbase to explain to the regulator that no, this is not a security and here's why. And so typically, uh, you know, I, I dealt with this in my practice um, back when I was active as a lawyer. And, uh, and so often this is worked out and you have an opportunity to explain to reasonable regulators how the staking works and why it doesn't qualify as a security. And so if that state that I looked at is representative of the other 10, I think it is, not positive, I think it is. What they're saying is you need to stop the staking business in our state. They're not saying you need to shut down your exchange and quit trading tokens. Important distinction. James, yeah. fantastic conversation. So much information here. Uh, final thoughts, key takeaways that you'd like to leave our viewers with. We've got about 30 seconds left. Well, Ash, thank you so much for having me on. I always love your show. I watch your show because you really get to the meat of issues without a lot of you know, hype that you find sometimes in, in other uh, shows. And uh, so it's great to be on with you. Right now is a really important time. And we're going to look back on this time years from now and see what happened. There is going to be a pivot. And the pivot is either crypto and financial freedom is going to exit the United States of America, or we're going to come to our senses and welcome highly regulated, non-fraudulent, non-FTX, uh, trading in digital assets. And uh, I really and sincerely hope that it's the latter. Important and sobering points to end on. James, thank you so much for joining us. I hope we can have you again soon. Absolutely. That's it for today. Check out the Real Vision website. We're currently running a festival of learning campaign focused on AI. You can get seven days of Real Vision premium access and insights for free. Head over to realvision.com forward slash festival of learning. That's realvision.com forward slash festival of learning. Later today, I'll be hosting a session titled, How Do You Invest Using AI? And more importantly, should I? Make sure to check that out on our website. Tomorrow on the show, we'll be joined by Trent McConaughey from Ocean Protocol. See you at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, and 5 p.m. London. Thanks for watching, everybody. Have a great afternoon. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.